Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Comics Fondle Podcast. My name is Andrew, and my blog is comicsfondle.com. And I'm Vernon, and my I am the re- yeah, let's try that again. Hey, I'm Vernon, and I'm the proprietor of the retail comic book store Comics Gallery. Got that out. All right. And uh, yeah, anyway, we got we got a short one this week. There's not just a ton of comics published this spring, kind of like the weather we've been experiencing, very unpredictable and short and stuff like yeah. that. So. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was pretty good. No rants this week. You know, I, I'm, I'm remarkably rant free this week. <laughs> I'm coming to grips with my existence, as it were. Uh, let's see here. Uh, let's see. We got a, a good list of indie stuff. Do we get any? Do we get any Marvel or DC? I'm just trying to look on here. I'm looking at Marvel or DC. This uh, we got Batman, White Knight. We got a DC. Uh, okay, that's good. That finishes off. All right. Well, we'll start at the top of the list here. Now, you you covered Isola on your blog. I can't remember if you did. You didn't this time. You know, again, there's an awful lot of comic books these days that are incredibly well executed, but for some reason, they just kind of lack that individual oomph that puts them into another thing, you know, like that phrase, all art is about art, you know, and, and we reinterpret our old languages and symbols in, for a new era, and whether that stays relevant or not lets us know whether we're art or not. Well, Isola is a really nice one. I mean, I think we talk, just touched upon it last time, and it's a, it's a nice Japanese uh, fantasy tale about a knight who's guarding a queen who has turned into a tiger and trying to get her through treacherous circumstances. Oh, very nice. All very technically achieved, very beautiful colors. Who's our creator here? Brendan Fletcher. Who was Brendan Fletcher? Was he hooked up with Amy Reader on that Rocket Girl a couple years back? I can't remember. He's wasn't he the guy on Bad Girl with Cameron Stewart? That could be. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah that sounds better. And Carl Kershaw, who does a great job on art on this book too. I mean, it's a beautiful book. I mean, if you're into Japanese anime fairy tales, it's right there, you know. And and uh, but to me, it doesn't really grab me on a personal level. You know, I, I can't I just don't get into it. Maybe I'm just that not that Japanese anime kind of guy. I don't know. Um, but it's a nicely we run into these books that are what do you call it? Nicely crafted, well executed, eh, maybe a little personality less, you know, I mean, lacking in just that. Yeah. Oomph, you know, like and that creative maybe, personality. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 really nicely done, but I'm just not seeing anything I haven't already seen. But it's really nice. I've right. done stuff for stuff I've already seen. Yeah, well, we'll leave it at that. Um, anyway, what's your time if you're into it? Flavor, oh. yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I remember suggesting it. I was like, yeah. I wonder if he'd like this, and you seem to enjoy the read. Yeah. Which is good, good. It's a, it's a weird, it's a number one, it's image. Right. Obviously, because everything's image, basically, at this point. Almost everything, yes, yes. Uh, so it's, uh, it's like a fantasy, it's kind of like fantasy because they're in this, weird city state where there's not magic but there's cooking instead and you know you run on the rooftops to cook and you're in a cooking academy and it's like conspiracy you know there are enforcers of the cooking academy it's it's just like it's a weird mix of um sort of genre tropes and it works out because it's like fun there's uh the lead character is a teenage girl and her sidekick is a dog who apparently is anthropomorphic in ways uh reminding a snoopy at times which is fun i mean it's just a weird little fun book i wish uh that freaking uh angel book that size simon spurrier did was 
this much fun. More accessible anyway. It yeah. has a lot of likable elements. Yes. It has all the right things like the the uh, held behind girl for no fault of her own and the mysteriously crippled parents and the Snoopy-esque dog and then the odd brother who comes in for social services and everything. This book attempts so much in 20 pages. Yeah. And I, I get, I get the, I, I liked it, but at the same time, I was like, "Well, you got to finish a story. You're giving me something." Like at one point, you see her two crippled parents in wheelchair in the background, okay? But we're just given the barest sliver of who they are and what their re- relationship is to this restaurant their daughter now works at, and apparently, kind of saves their butt, right? I guess I don't know. There's a lot she's of things we don't it know. Open. We don't know yet, yeah. Right, even though she's an illegal chef, and we don't know what that means. An illegal chef, yeah. Yeah, and the whole thing with the uh, gentleman she runs into in the contest for the spice or whatever it is they're running after the beginning of the show. I, I saw the potential for so many things in flavor, and uh, while I liked it, it just had too many things that I had unanswered questions to, I guess, you know, because you know. I'm, I'm going to – but. What's the what's the brother's sword? You know, I mean, all sorts of like things. It's got- they're writing it for the trade. It's a they're writing it for the trade. Clearly, oh, definitely, yeah. Clearly. There's just like so much stuff creeped in here in the beginning. I was like, I'm really enjoying it. Like you say, it's real um, user friendly. You know, it's it seems uh, and the coloring is really good. Who's the colorist on this book? Let me find that out here. I put the artist and writer on there. Oh, we should talk about them. Joe Keating and Wook Jin Clark, who did the artwork. Yep. And very competent, really nice stuff, very professional and uh, fun. I'm not sure about the apocalyptic uh, thing, but I guess that's part of the deal now. At the end and everything, I was like, oh, okay, all right, all right. Yeah, what's with Snoopy? You're right. Uh, where was it? No, I can't find the colors. Sorry. If they don't make it easy for me, I'm going to go with Tan. Camera Bond villain. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Right. Nice book, though. Uh, yeah. Good start. Good start. Nice, uh, nice, nice work. Oh, Death or Glory. Was that one you read? I didn't read it. Now it's another. Uh, excuse me. Image book. Darn it. You know, extra sized issue. It's. I think it's an extra buck. Four ninety nine, maybe. Yeah, where is it at? They make it so hard for these dealers to find prices and shit. Uh, four ninety nine. Uh, you get like forty plus pages. Ages in here, so you get your money for the extra block. Rick Remender and the artist Bengal. On oh. Death or Glory. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Remender, he's an interesting one. I think he's like one of those guys, like uh, Milligan, who succeeds with me about half the time, and then the other half is just a little tosh. Um, you know, I'm going to say Death or Glory is going to be, even though they're different books, uh, it's about a young lady who's trying to save her dad, yada, yada. They live in Autumn. Mobiles, they got a garage, they race, they deal with deadly people. Again, a nicely executed book. The coloring, the artwork by Bengal is top dog. I have no problems with the setup and everything, but I've seen it all before, though, right. again. You know, maybe I'm just too old, but it's a it's an adventure with racing and cars and all that kind of stuff. And Bengal does a great job. Great Duncan for great cover on the variant, too. too. I, he paints a really nice one. Uh, Death or Boy, worth your time, four ninety nine. Again, uh, looking for personal personality like maybe an original shoehorn in there with some kind of creative idea that's just i don't know a fresh angle i don't know anyway death or glory there for you all right i'll let you start with maestro since i've been doing too much talking 
Tell me about Maestro. Flavor. Uh, so Maestro. Uh, Maestro. Is it Maestro or Maestros? Anyway. Uh, um, Maestro because it's one dude maybe. I don't know. So uh, Steve Scrosi's uh, epic is coming to its conclusion. We got one more issue. I don't think that they ever hinted at the length of this thing. Am I correct in that? No. It, you knew that it wouldn't be an ongoing. That's about all you'd know. Yeah. It, so... And, uh, I guess they decided seven issues is enough for a trade and they just got to get out because it's clearly going to be a lot of work for Scrosi with the level of detail on the art. But, uh, you know, it it's it's about to wrap up. It's in a good spot. Like, it's got some good scenes in it. Uh, the art's great. Um, yeah, the art's great. Did we say the art was great? It's yeah, the Steve art's Scro- great. It's, you know. It, well, Maestro's uh, is a fantasy book and 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 one and one particular thing that I think you mentioned in your blog post was that the two armies the armies of hell and then the armies of this demon death lord go go against each other in this double page spread and and they go they have at it and then you see one leave and run away from the other and it's just i don't know it's just madness all over the page mm-hmm. when we're talking about bringing uh, originality to an idea you know he does it with in spades with his abilities um the story's good too steve yeah. steve Grossy blew us both out of the water in that. So yeah, I mean it's a it's a good one, you know. It's it's held up. It's never, it hasn't had a bad issue, has it? No. No, I want, I want a mini series on mom. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Mom's back yeah. in because you know he's clearly wrapping it up. So yeah, it, it's working Maestro out. Maestro is probably yeah. Maestro is perfect. It's also a good licensing opportunity as well. You know, it's kind of like what do you call that? What what Mark Millar does? He takes these old tropes. And gives him new life or something yeah. like that. Grossi does it with this uh, magical, what, 500th heir to the Grand Wizard of the Universe or whatever story that's just given enough black humor and uh, pathos and violence and sex to put it right with us all. All right. Moving on. We got the return of an old series. <sighs> no, I'm just uh, Yeah, I mean, kind of, because guess what? Lazarus is back for two issues, and then it's taken another hiatus, and those two issues tell a side story. You know, I knew it when we reviewed the – when we talked about this book earlier. I, I was like that. I'm like, you know, it's it's cool, but Wait a it's second. not – Has the second Lazarus. part come out? No, it hasn't. Has it? Uh, I got 27. I think that's the one with dude in the – It's the first along. part. Ooh, right? second part? I didn't read the second part. I didn't either. Did we already talk about this? Yeah, I think we did. Yeah, well, Should we skip this? I think we should skip this. <laughs> next <laughs> issue comes out this week. Anyway. That's what got us crossed. Sorry about that. All, All right. right. Moving on. Moving on. Barrier. Um, the headline. The headline. You, I know you're such a Brian K. Vaughn. Why don't you take it over for me on this one? Oh, fucking hey, <laughs> man. All right. So... Actually, I am the target audience for this book because I bought every fucking issue of uh, Private Eye. Uh, okay. The digital comic. It was pay what you want. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. Burn got copies, everybody, just so you know. Uh, my oh, copies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so this was another one of those that like two and a half years ago they started it. Okay. And now they're publishing it weekly from Image, right? Like May and yeah, what? yeah. So it's digital first, and it's creator owned and not image. So they're clearly just trying to get some coin from it. 
but we got him from me, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he got him for you before you could read before you read it. So anyway, so it's they, oh, the first issue really came out in fall 2015. No shit, and um, that's amazing. That's two and a half years ago. Yeah, so yeah, I remember at the time hearing about it that it was mostly just uh, a book for Marcos Martin to do, and then. It was like he was the driving force. And you can believe that from the first issue because the first issue is freaking awesome visually. Like, I mean, the thing just clicks. It moves. The transitions, like, he can pace how you're reading the panels. Like, it's just beautiful stuff. And the writing's, uh, you know, Brian K. Vaughn-y, like... Well, you know, it Brian K. Vaughn, he can, like, do a lot of, like, character talk and development, but there, this is almost devoid of language or real... That's, that's after the... This is still the first issue, so... Because okay, I yeah, read... Yeah. We read four of them, right? Like, right. Yeah, fifth one comes out next Wednesday. Right, like, the exciting conclusion, only we know it's not going to be exciting because who gives a shit after four? Um, And then, okay, so, and then there's, like... So the premise of the book is a Texas rancher and a guy who's coming into the country illegally from Honduras gets sucked up by aliens and they don't speak the same language. That's that for four issues. Yeah, yeah. cuz you know what Vernon there's a language barrier. Do you like that barrier? Woo! So they can't t- they don't the first issue The rancher's story has a lot of dialogue and frankly, it's not nowhere near as visually interesting as when Martin's doing the dude's story with all the Spanish dialogue, because even if, you know, you can read this book, if you speak Spanish, Martin clearly is trying to do something with those scenes to make sure that if you don't speak Spanish, you can understand, right. You can understand some of what's going on. So he's trying really hard and he's everything syncs up. Everything clicks that first issue. Second issue, no. I mean, third issue, maybe a little bit more, but who Well once we get into the alien spacecraft, it it just slows down to a glacier pace. And again, it's a beautiful uh storyboard for his artwork, but Mm -hmm. nothing really that's of any consequence or anything, you know? So after, and, and now the first issue was five bucks because of its size. And then we've had three at four bucks. So that's what? 12 plus four. That's 16. You had another four. We're talking $20. $20 to buy, this. to buy this fucking comic. I don't, which you literally could have bought online digital, which Marcos drew it to be read digitally, which you can tell. Um, right. Well, they got a good colorist on the book, too. They I, do. I can't. That Musante guy's great. Um, but yeah. you could have bought this theoretically for four cents, five cents. You could pay a penny for this comic online. When it came we, out. I would have to say, oh, when it came out. All right. So well, you no, to- you can still pay what you want now. But I'm saying, like, if you wanted to read the new Marcos Martin, Brian K. Vaughn book two and a half years ago, you could do it for a penny. And now you got to do it for five bucks. Uh, 
well, it's pretty, but it's just pretty. But anyway, so pretty. and you know, and, and, and here's the little retailer rant in me. I think we we alluded to this earlier, where this book is five issues, of which we've gone absolutely nowhere for four issues. The first issue was a nice setup, but the three have been kind of coasting art portfolio stuff. And then how are they going to do this in five, which makes it interesting? Now, you you got to order this as a retailer as weekly, all right? So here, here's the double entendre. We enter these numbers in, and we hope that they're as close to what we can sell without selling out, but we don't want to eat too much, especially when it starts out at five bucks. And we had a uh, free comic book day preview book of it that reprinted about half of the issue, the first issue. So I'm like, uh, you know, I don't want want to go too crazy, but then you can't adjust your numbers if it sucks. So that was my place. I mean, I just got hung a little bit more than I wanted to. I wanted some plot so I could recommend this book. I think I could have sold the rest of my stock had it have a plot that I could mm-hmm. recommend customers read it for. But then everybody looks at me. I'm like, you know, it's great Marcos art. It's really good coloring, but I don't know. I, I'm not quite sure where Brian K. Vaughn's name's on here. Yeah, I mean, I, that's the best part. He his name is second until the third issue, and then it's first. Except there's less dialogue in the third. There's like none in the third issue. In the fourth, there's only a little bit. And it's shitty, so it's just like, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's a nice, uh, empowered comic book creators project. It is, and you know what? For five bucks on the internet, it would have been fine. Like Private Eye? Right, or if you send books for a physical copy. Right. I might even go 15 you know, if it had the what shakes. About, what about twelve ninety nine? Now, there you go. twelve ninety nine. Yeah, because of content, you know what I mean? Yeah. All right, so you, you understand why we're coming from on Barrier. Now, he's – I don't know. I don't know if he could save this in one issue. I, I really don't know. I mean, I, I hope he doesn't make us look at the female naked again. Uh, yeah. Get yeah, that wasn't Marcos necessary. Martin is yeah, it's unnecessary, and he doesn't seem to enjoy drawing the female character. Well, we won't go there. Well, no, just in general, the level of detail he gives to her expressions is, you know, far like, less than he gives to the other guy. Slow day, yeah, it's yeah. not very, not very detailed or empathetic or you know. Whatever, dynamic. You're not. You're not gonna. You're gonna have. Yeah, she ain't gonna make your top ten from Love and Rockets. That's for sure. Now, anyway. So, anyway, the read next, at your own risk. Yeah. Negotiate. Uh, parlez-vous with your retailer or some sort. Say, hey, can you give me a deal on all five? <laughs> I can work with you. <laughs> I kid thee not, Pilgrim. Wait, wait uh, is it oversized? Like, yeah. Well, it's longer. Okay. It reads horizontal. Yeah, I know, but I mean, I was just... I and guess it's I even just... longer. Okay. Well, you know, I've had a couple customers bitch because when they try to put it in a bag, the lip goes over, but it doesn't touch the other side of the bag. Ah. It's that long. It's, it's not half an inch. It's something like two-thirds to three-quarters of an inch longer than a standard comic. And it, I get that it goes to his means, but again, this is a case of commercialism. Like, mm-hmm. just format it to fit a regular-sized comic, okay? The artwork isn't that detailed or intricate that we're going to lose anything, okay? Right. <laughs> no, I mean, it, I mean, yeah. Yeah, anyway, so 
that brings up the whole other issue of you're you're printing a comic that was meant to be read digitally and it was drawn digitally for that purpose. Like there are some panels that you're just like they're this is not appropriate to be on a printed on a piece of paper in a way. Like right. if it were backlit, it'd probably be that much brighter and right. Pretty. Like it does not yeah, anyway. So Moving on to something else we're going to talk about uh, with some fervor. Yeah, fervor. Well, we, we, you and did I you had, talked outside. Yes, I did. I did get a chance to read it. Um, yeah, the vertigoization of it is taking over. Uh, Black Hammer, Age of Doom. Um, <sighs> Lucy Weber goes to hell. It's a hell that... Seems very much like a knockoff of an Alan Moore hell from, I don't know, Swamp Thing 4950 in the annual 2, nerds. Like, what the fuck? Well, the thing about the bar hell was scarier than the mm-hmm. legendary hell, as if you want to call basically, it that. Basically, she goes to the hell from the Spawn movie, uh, a shitty CG hell, you know, and fights the devil and like gets kicked out for no reason. And it's just like Lemire's Russian. He's introducing all sorts of new shit that doesn't mean anything because all she does in hell is pick pick up a sidekick dead man. Don't you know? But anyway, um, name though, I forget what it is, but it's not dead. man. Right. So then, at the same time, and this was the thing that I actually had a little bit more of a problem with, is uh, Barb Alien and um, Gail go to the library to check out the books. And what do they discover? That there are books that they can read. Lucy couldn't read them, but they can. What does that right. mean? And we don't know what that means. And Lemire is so muted in that because he's racing to get to... Gail finally telling Barbalian about how she's shagging Sherlock Frankenstein. Which, which is something we found out a long time ago. We found out a long time ago in the fucking spinoff book, Vernon. This is yeah. them integrating the universe and it's not good. <laughs> nah, it's kind of, it's old. You, if you're going to have revel, re, revelatory facts, they have to be new. Or they have to reinforce the like, story. Or they have it has to have like a meaningful scene. They're yeah. just sitting around moping, and all of a right. sudden, there's your part because that they can read the books, <laughs> and you shouldn't be able to read the books. And it's like it has nothing to do with it. It's like a simultaneously catching up with Barb Alien's lack of romance with the priest. Okay, where's the <laughs> second over again? <laughs> where's the second fucking issue of a of Black Hammer? Like. At this That's point, last series, we had a lot more going on. This yeah. is, it's, it's concerning, and it didn't help that at the same time, I noticed the next series, the next spinoff series, goes into the fucking future. Yeah. The, uh, the uh, superhero comic book day, yeah. Which looks more interesting to read than what we got right now. <laughs> So, I mean, it's, it's, it's sad because it's like Dean Ormston and you're just like, maybe you should have waited for him to have something to draw, Jeff LeBeer. I mean, it has some panoramic scenes with the hell and all that, but it, it just, it's dry and it's, it doesn't advance the plot. And it's, I, I want Lucy to be more interesting right? than this. Lucy I guess she was yeah. amazing. 
Lucy's gone from being like the best character to somebody you're just like, okay. But she's got like three panels in the free comic book to give away, and she's more interesting than she is in the series. It's yeah, it's a, it's, it's getting a, concerning, and it's like this has gone from being a single book that the big deal was it got a fucking annual, right? It's right. now ha- going to have three spinoff books and they're relaunching the main title with a new subtitle, which means they'll probably keep fucking doing that. Right. Once right, this goes that'll to- be the name of the trade. Right. So it's just like they're branding the hell out of black hammer and Lemire's yeah, that- doing all this universe building and it ain't, it ain't the Sherlock Frankenstein was amazing. Dr. Star is not. Right. right. Well, I, I, they're doing, like, say, doing that world building, but there's really, they, they, they have the cart before the horse here where mm-hmm. they're selling us a uniform, universe before they've really built it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't build a universe on innuendo that refers to old uh, Golden and Silver Age comic book tropes, but really doesn't explore them on a more intricate basis than this. Because it's just, it's like a flimsy framework of things. Exactly. It's like, it's, things, you know? yeah. So, it's concerning. Um, well, Dr. Star, you mentioned Dr. Star, right? Yep. So let's go talk about Dr. Star number three. Yeah, that was a rough haul. The first two were pretty rough. I'm not going to say three saved it, but three gave it a tail that conceivably he could add up to something in four. Now, I'm not going to say it's going to be mean business, but I'm not going to say he saved it either, but he might be able to save it. <laughs> I mean, it's not going to be as bad as it could have been. Retailer's faith, yes, yeah. right, exactly. Yeah, it could have been. I, you know, there's just so many things. Like, we wonder if Jeff Lemire, like, okay, he's doing a lot of cool retro tropes, but he has to have them add up to something that keeps me going on this. You know, yeah. what I mean, it can't it's just not be- cute enough to sustain. A franchise, yeah, it's not a franchise. Like, if yeah. this is your attempt at franchising, it's time to stop. Well, yeah, and just take your time and just stick with the main idea yeah. and let them form organically. Like, don't force yourself to write spinoffs. Do it on an organic basis when you get inspired to talk about something. Do a fucking know? eight page backup in the regular book, six right. page. You know what Chuck style? Me, you know, for dollar, make it. Four ninety nine and do an eight or ten page backup story every third or fourth issue or whatever. No, no, that's just, fine. You know, whatever. Yeah. So anyway, Boy, they really need you and I working a comic. Clearly. Tell you. All right. Well, we're going to move on to another project that is tangentially related, if only by the artwork of the magnificent David Rubin. He starts a new Ether series, and uh, you know, there's some high shoes to fill on this because the first series was very intricate. It had a lot of layering the uh, the character was textured and detailed and he had good motivations um and david rubin's art he gets to let loose here more than he does with a series by jeff lemire um which i found to be expanded even more in an image series called rumble okay where i don't read it because there's not enough content but on that book david rubin gets to just go ape shit and create his own characters out of whole cloth I have lost your audio. 
I just haven't said anything. Oh, okay, good. Well, anyway. I didn't read it. Who wrote that? You want to know who wrote that? Yeah, Matt. Wrote... Yeah, Matt. that's right. Matt fucking Kit wrote it. All right? Jeff, Jeff Lemire's spiritual opposite. Right. King... Listen to this. Vernon is talking about Jeff Lemire and Matt Kit comics. Yeah, I know. It's it's truly a different world. It is. You know? He also well, you know, likes when dogs not... now. Yeah, well, when they're not drawing their own comics, they're fine. But um, he's got David Rubin, man. You know, he could I have, know, I know. He could have fecal paintings I, and still I, a good David Rubin. I know. I. Uh, but, uh, you you read the first Ether series, though. No, I read the first issue because it reminded me too much of Adam Strange mixed with whatever the fuck else it reminded me of, and I just couldn't do it. Uh, I can't. I can't handle Matt Kent. Like no, you didn't like mind management at all. I didn't read. Did I read mind management? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I used remember... to like Mad Kent Vernon. You didn't used to like him. Leave me uh, alone. No, like... like, oh no, I I couldn't stand his earlier stuff. What was <laughs> that? The, the radio detective shit or whatever that was. I'm like, oh my god, I got to run for the door. I don't At know. least back then he was precious. Now he's just like. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Anyway, Ether's a pretty good read. I like the first trade. You did like it, yeah. It's it's I did. a I like it's the... a, no, it's a good book. It's fine. It's one of those books that is totally fine. And if it's your thing, it's like you were saying with Isola or Death and uh, Glory or like Lumberjanes, right? Lumberjanes is a perfectly good fucking comic. I'm not gonna fucking read it. It's not good enough. No, like, I'm sorry. I'm gonna be a dick. Like I'm not gonna read Lumberjanes. It's not no. good enough. Don't be a dick. Just read Lumberjanes. No, just kidding. I, I can't read Lumberjanes. It's we're not the test audience for it. No. Right. Um, so yeah, like, I'm not Ether's I'm, audience. I'm, I'm trying to figure out. Well, I'm trying to figure out the parallels, but I will say this: Matt Kent and and Jeff Lemire turned out to be better writers than I give them credit for. Now, what happens to better writers in a system where they have so much power that they don't have any editorial guidance? Well, the they're... writing, you know. Weigh in on this. I know you're dying to. Well, I mean, with those two guys, they started with no editorial, right? Like, well, Dark Horse, maybe. I don't know. They were at Dark Horse. Was Kent at Dark Horse? I think Kent was at Dark Kent, Horse. Didn't Kent start with shit? Like, tr he started with full on graphic novels, like 128 page things from Top Shelf. Right. Like, he did not have an editor to start. Lemire yep. didn't have an editor till he got to New Fifty Two, and it's actually made Lemire a better, uh, better. Yeah, it's made him a more successful writer, not just in terms of like popularity, but he's also a better writer. He's yeah. more successful when he goes for things. It's not like that fucking book that I loved the first five issues of, and you hated all of them. The one in space where they were splitting the chick and the dude. And it was like ancient shit and modern shit. Anyway, it was a Lemire book and he fucked it up because like, you know, he fucked shit up. Fuck shit up, right? Without an editor, the people fuck shit up a lot. We know right. that. Yeah. And so like now we're getting back to these guys having editors, but they don't have editors. He doesn't have an editor on Ether, I'll bet. That's a good question. Do I have Ether here? Let's see. I bet he doesn't have an editor. It's called the Copper Golems. Anyway, to get on, get back on Ether, I actually enjoyed it again. Uh, Ruben, Ruben did some good words. Let's see. Do we have an editor? Daniel Chabon. I don't know. I mean, I don't know who he's an image. Is it Image or Dark Horse? It is a Dark Horse book. Yep, he's Dark Horse's house editor. 
Like who? Like I. Does he direct the line? You know Shelly Bond directs the fucking line. I don't know if Daniel Chabon directs the line at Dark Horse or if he's just the guy who makes sure they get their art in on time. Right, right, right. Well, you know, I have to say, though, that it was it was worth the time to read because uh, they seem to take a lot of their concepts from this first series and just kind of nicely, seamlessly integrate it in the second. And David Rubin's art, as always, is spectacular. And he gets to play more with panel arrangement and stuff like that. That you started to see him do with Sherlock Frankenstein. Yeah, that was gorgeous. Yeah. Double page spreads that had panels kind of in all different angles mm. and stuff. And you know, he makes those silly old image comics look like total shit when he actually succeeds in his experiments, where they just fail miserably That's because they true. have no idea how to contend it. But Ether, I give thumbs up for. I thought it was a pretty good read. And I'm not really a fantasy guy either. You know, I'm more of a Conan dude, like, hack the shit out of the demons and get to have the princess type stuff, you know. All right. Well, here's one we can both agree on. Uh, Infinity I didn't 8. say it. I didn't read it. Anyway. Infinity read- 8. I, didn't, I read Infinity 8. I didn't read either. Like, leave me alone. Yeah. Jesus. It's not, your, it's not your bag. It's not, not your my bag. bag. Infinity 8's my bag, Vernon. Infinity this fucking book. Oh, so good. Ah. Oh. It is so multi-layered, and the ending of the third series was just unexpected and powerful, and nobody can do it in three fucking issues like Louis Trondheim. It's just, just Yeah, I mean, well, especially when you consider that this issue, or all of last issue and most of this issue, is like a fucking action issue. Like, it's like... Gee, you know, if Bendis and Bagley had done this as well in Ultimate Spider-Man, we wouldn't have had to listen to 20 years of shit about this. Like, it's beautiful. I mean, just... And they're not even do- introducing new things in this issue. Like, they no, resolve the action... characters in the third issue, yeah. yeah. They resolve it using all their existing characters and existing settings, and it's like... But it's fresh... And it's not what you expected, and that's because of the characters, and it's just, it's really good. Right, right, and, and the plot device they threw in there, which we didn't know was a plot device until it actually occurs as a plot device. Mm-hmm. When, yeah, you know, and I'm like, wow, like, to to take uh, this science fiction concept you talk about so casually as part of your story, and then make it rejigger the whole thing, and... Well, Louis Trondheim is uh, one of my favorite French authors. The guy understands comic books like nobody's business and plays with formal aspects to, uh, of comics to no end. And he's doing uh, these three-issue miniseries. Like, uh, shit, who's the publisher on that? Uh, Lion Forge? Oh, Jesus. If they can get through eight miniseries of three issues, I'll be very happy for them, okay? Luckily, this is being reproduced as a hardcover collection. And that is uh, lovely. yeah, the down part is it's $20, but you get this great fucking story and artwork by, let me see, who's the creators on this book? Louis Tyndra, Zepp. Zepp's the, Zepp uh, the, one of the writer. Authors. He's one of the writers. Right. And Dominique Bertail is the yep, artist. Bertail. Yep. Does a great job on this So good. And what is, it's like a, a, a police agent on aboard this ship, which is towing like a half a dozen planets en route to its other missions, and they come upon a graveyard in space of dead things, and they're taken over by one of the indigenous, or not indigenous, one of the majority life forms that's traveling on their ship. And it's just, 
it just starts there basically. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it does all this with the captain of the ship and his co-captain. They're interesting. Uh, the agent and the one alien she has to rely on for help are really compelling characters. Uh, there's so much sexual tension in such an odd way throughout this story. It, it, it's original on so many counts. It's hard to just sit here and uh, talk about it. You really got to experience it, man. Yeah, that's a great book. Yeah, Infinity Eight, man. Just it's going to be hard to find. Who the fuck carries Lion Forge comics? I don't know anybody carries Lion Forge comics. Just you. Uh, All right. All right. Highest house. Highest house. Peter Gross. Uh, Mike Mike Carey. Mike. I was going to call him Brian. That's okay. He doesn't mind. He's fine. Um. Yeah. Damn, this book is good. Like. Yeah, if Vertigo could continue on and publish books on the next level, Highest House would have definitely been one of yep. those. Sadly, they didn't, and it's an IDW, right? Uh, it is, yes, yes. So it's <laughs> a Vertigo book, sadly enough. Uh, how DC let this one get all away from them? Or maybe Mike Carey didn't bring it Do to them? Do they even publish Vertigo books anymore? Well, they publish pseudo-Vertigo books. But they don't call them Vertigo, do they? I think there's a Vertigo label on a couple of them, but it's almost dead and gone. I mean, their books were publishing under 5,000 copies, so yeah, I think they just gave it up. So, but yeah, I mean, this book, uh, the 30, it's just, it's got a bunch of content, which is gross fits so much into this. Like, and he's got these intricate, sort of medieval panel design things like a page will look like a mural in a English church or some shit. Like it's the you know, architectural. Yeah. It's, you know, he's clearly working on this. Everything is like the characters come back at just the right point. Like Carrie's working on this. He's worked on the script. I mean, this is really good and it's really refined and it's that way out the door. Right. Yeah. There's no wasted time. The lead in is solid. Four issues in, we've got what, almost a hundred pages of great story. I mean I it's can't, what the and there's it's still the first story arc, and I'm just like, how the fuck can more happen than this? I know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like George George R. R. Martin of comics. Uh, it, it it just crams like so much knowledge and, and storyline and characters into 80 to 100 pages I think so but, uh, yeah. beautiful coloring and you know the magazine size uh, reproduction it's done like uh, album style like European books are but it's still done single issue and God, Peter Gross just goes ape shit here I mean his pages are loaded let's see this one alone has 12 panels I on know it. right like what's the average For- panels 10 yeah uh and it, it's it's a half hour read and then you mm-hmm. want to read it over again mm-hmm. because you just put that thing you know and the covers by who they got this cover the same artist that was doing the unwritten covers at the end uh oh, let me see if i can find this person's name yuko shimu shimizu anyway i still uh, gotta read that yeah yeah uh i don't know again it's very similar in ways to recommend it like infinity just so many things 
going on so nicely balanced. They all continue to tell a story. There's no wasted moments. When you talk about creators at a high level of potential and creativity, I mean, these guys make mainstream comics look like shit, I tell you. And it's very nice to see it. So, I mean, Infinity 8 is a French comic. It's a it's being printed by Lions Forge. And the translation's being printed. If we really cared and could speak French, we could read Infinity 8 right now, right? It's done. Right. That's happened. Highest House... <clears throat> These are guys who together had a couple significant successes, yeah. right? Vertigo, right, unwritten. Vertigo. Yeah. Lucifer, right? Yeah, Lucifer, yes. Oh, Mike Carey does good world building. So they've had a hard time of it since, you know, the idea of Vertigo has gone to shit, like when Karen Berger left. Uh, yeah. You know, Unwritten was their Vertigo's last fucking book, basically, of any note. Right, right. They're lengthy ones that went several dozen issues. Um, because you know what, Fables never got turned into a TV show, so Vertigo yes, did by other networks who stole it. <laughs> so anyway, it's just like it's very it's so nice to see that these guys are able to do this kind of work even after they've sort of been like not put out the pasture, but just ignored. Yeah. They like, couldn't get, because they're not mainstream writers. Well, right? And I mean, it's like DC's not willing, to, not going to be willing to pay for Mike Carey right now. Right. right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Very true. But then what, what, what we make, on, what, what does he make from dynamite on the next book that we have on our list? I didn't read it. You oh, didn't latest? tell me that it was out. Oh. Your fault. Okay, it's my I fault. Point the finger at you. Well, Don't you know, be it, careful talking about it, but you may speak of it. Well, again, Mike Carey gets to do work again that worked to his strengths, and he's rejuvenated this uh, traditionally Europeanish French comic called Barbarella. And he's uh, recruited, I don't know that he recruited, but he's working with Keenan Yarar on the artwork, who's wonderfully European and does these great science fiction-y fantasy uh, stories of her adventures and getting involved in other people's uh, colonizations and political strife and sexual, uh, all sorts of stuff, because that's Barbarella. But it's not too explicit either, just explicit mm-hmm. enough. Like, he mm-hmm. keeps it to a level and, uh, you know, six issues in, and I haven't seen a bad issue yet. And uh, Including this, the one you didn't want to read because you didn't like the art, and I had to tell you to read uh, it. You did. I was going to skip it. I have to hold it to you. Like, writers will carry a book, and that was a good one. Even though I still didn't like the artwork. It car- Fine. The writing, the writing carried it. But So, yeah, Barbarella, which I didn't read because Verdon neglected to tell me it was out. Um I, I highly recommend it, even though I haven't read it. <laughs> yeah, I just won't tell you the good books come out. Yeah, uh, yeah, Barbarella's a good one. You got it's it's not it has like the the silly dumbness of the old series, but it's done with a more sophisticated type of wit. I don't know. It works. Yeah. It, Barbarella is very aware. I yeah, mean, self-aware. It's parody of the dumb, goofy, blonde. Right. Type. 
Yeah, she's like yeah. it's in charge all the way through, though. I mean, yeah, it's not it's, like she's the leader of the action. Um, so yeah, but good stuff. Good stuff. Um, another one that possibly shouldn't work but does: Jimmy's Bastards, man. Especially since there's only one left. I'm telling you, a nine-issue maxi series—that's an unusual number. It is he an does, unusual number. He does like to stretch out his uh, storylines at certain times. You know what I mean? Yeah, like on the other hand, this one could have gone six. It could have gone six, right? It's um. So we're talking, yeah, Jimmy's Bastards, Garth Ennis, and uh, Russ Braun. Russ Braun. Doing James Bond's bastard legion of children come after him. To yeah, kill not him. a idea, but it makes they still make it work. Yeah, you know I mean? It's funny. <laughs> it ain't deep. It's uh, got Russ Braun who can do anything about but, a million. Yeah. People. He's great. He's great. They uh, they uh, have a lot of fun with this book, and it shows. And. He's still, even though he's a bit of a syncophant, he's still a, an interesting character that you have sympathy for. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, he still has to put two and two together, or his daughter hasn't anyway by the end of it. My, All right. My issue with, no, I'll just say this. My issue with Jimmy's Bastards is it's Garth Ennis doing extended comedy, but it's nowhere near as good as Thing Called Love. Uh, yeah, it's not as tight. No, that's for sure. Yeah, and it's they, like... Right, but I mean, this should be, if this were a great book, it would yeah. be a crossover book. A crossover meaning? Like, they could make a fucking movie, is what I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you could make a money movie out of Jimmy's Bastards. You could make a movie out of, if it were better, they could. They could make a TV show out of it. Oh, easily, yeah. 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 So anyway, I'm just yeah, saying, yeah. On the depths of thing called thing called love is a really tightly structured script that would work as a movie, I think. You know, yeah, I, I, that's just my issue. Is the series needed to be tighter? It it needed a little bit of editorial. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, or maybe it was old Garth Ennis stretching it out to earn a couple of more checks. That could be it too. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, damn nine. Did you get to read damn nine yet? What? Damned, damn nine. The first part of their uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. The flashback, yeah, the flashback. Is it a flashback? It's a flashback. Yeah, I know it's a flashback, but it's not a flashback from their minds. Like I don't see them sitting around remembering. No, it's a prequel. Prequel arc. Okay, that works. Thanks. Um. Yeah. Shit. Did we just miss this on the last podcast? It feels like forever. Did we talk about this on the last podcast? Not damn nine. No. Because we, we we were just finishing up the reprint series, the, the two or three issue arc reprint right. series. I'll talk about it again if we did. Um. So it's a bunch of characters who I don't really remember. Younger. I don't yeah. remember Worm or Sophie. Well, that Worm is one of the guys now that he's talking to that's fucked up, like his girlfriend or whoever. Yeah, or something. Discovered the bandages and all that. You notice how they all have later incarnations and they're kind of fucked up people, you know what I mean, in the alley and everything? Yeah, oh, yeah. So, it's, uh, it's sort of a different... It's a very different... So, when Damned, the first 
arc of this ongoing series ended. Issue five or whatever it was. Damp seems like it was going someplace entirely different from where it is right here. (laughs) Well, right. And that's okay. And that's good. It's a good, really good comic. But there's like a shock. There's a bit of a shock that the reprint of Prodigal Sons was not to set up the sequel to that first arc, but to set up a prequel arc to Prodigal Sons. Good point. So, I mean, it's a little jarring because that first Damned arc was emotional in a way that Damned isn't always successful with. Yeah. Like... Yeah. So, but this issue's good. The fucking art's gorgeous. Good God. Yeah, Brian Hurt continues to grow in his maturity. I mean, he's getting more of an inky brush, and he's getting a lot, getting more comfortable with people and faces. He kind of reminds me of Will Eisner at times. Mm-hmm. But the uh, younger characters, the younger gangsters, they look like Will Eisner spirit creations. Um, you're right, though. I didn't even think about that. I mean, I enjoyed it, but you're right. There was I wouldn't say there was something missing, but you said the word jarring. And you're right, to have the success of the first arc, which really left us, tugged our heartstrings, and then to have the uh, reprint of that and not lead into continued what's going on. What what was the thing between these things? And you're right, they could have had a stronger start to a new story that way rather than the back-looking one. I don't know. So, yeah, Damned is... Solid. It's solid. It's good. It's good. It's just not what I was expecting, and that's fine. I just hope. I'm just. I'm just. just I'm just surprised. But yeah, some yeah. of those characters, like like, go back and look at their names, and you'll see their their future incarnations in the earlier issues. Yeah. Worm. Worm comes back. I've seen him before. Yeah. So the girl is somewhere too, yeah. you know, and it's sad because they're the young ones, you know. Ah, uh, well, Damned is a very haunting book. They're very successful. That is a they... perfect word for that. It's a haunting and, book. Yeah, and if you really like that, and it's got gangsters and demons and stuff, and it's just, I don't know, very well done, very tailored, very tailored. But uh, successful books notwithstanding, uh, we were talking about uh, Shelley Bond earlier and her IDW. Did you skip Batman White Knight? I did. We should get that in there. Do you have that on your list? I got that on my list. That's why I'm confused why we're talking about Dan. All right. Well, you know what? We can talk about the end of Batman White Knight. So in four sentences or so, tell me about the end of Batman White Knight. I want want your opinion. It's fine. I don't want to read it again. I don't want to read a sequel particularly, but I probably will. But the comic could have been great, and it wasn't because... Even, okay, what's his name? Murphy? Uh, Sean Murphy. They should have at least just hired him a writer. <clears throat> right, give him a Mark Evanier or somebody like that. So just any, make the they, train run on time with your fucking plot, dude. Like, you didn't I, need eight issues. Like, especially since this one is just leading into sequels that they hadn't originally planned for, like... Yeah, it, it kind of fell off the rails near the end. It seemed like it was getting to that point, but it still had, you still had a glimmer of hope that they could pull it off, but 
I don't know. The last issue just kind of confirms all of your 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 worrisomes about it, and it just kind of it comes out okay. Okay, it's fine. Um, I like your way. Fine is okay. He says fine. I say okay, but that's about that's about as much as we can get out of it. I I don't, I don't think I'll read it again. No, if Sean Murphy drew twice as much and they released that, I, I'd read that because that might, yeah. yeah, like <laughs> I should not ever be wanting for Sean Murphy art in a comic right. and right. I am wanting and Sean Murphy prioritizes what he is thinking is narrative over his art and he shouldn't be doing that. Well, yeah, there's that one scene where they burst through the big canal at the end and it comes off as less than dramatic than it could have. I'm like, could have nailed this fucking scene. This guy can draw his ass off. But right? Like, what the fuck is this shit? Like, what? Yeah, we saw him go ape shit in that Romeo and Juliet book with uh, Rick Remender, was it? On Image about the Romeo and Juliet cops in the future. I forget, but that was good. He went nuts yeah. on that, but he wasn't allowed to go nuts in White Knight because he was trying to write it. I, I, I don't I, get it. I, like he, he actually needed nine issues because he needed to draw more. Like whatever. Like right, right. Shouldn't I have mean, wasted those two fucking issues on your new Joker or whatever. Like anyway, the Nazi and, subplot. But anyway, if, if you had to have an extra issue, like just make it with double page spreads of all shit. Exactly. That would have been amazing. I know you could have fit that in. That would have been a logical. Oh, that would have been awesome. Paperback, like have like 20 pages of just fucking Batmobile smash up against shit, breaking the ice and all that. I'm like, yeah, he could draw that. You know, and I would great. Be... Yeah. We'd love that. Anyway. Yeah. Back to the old comics. Well, yeah. we'll finish off with Shelly Bond's success. At, uh, all right. IDW, her books, uh, what, Punk's Not Dead, and that's four, and Assassinist is five. Yep. Punk's Not Dead is emerging to me to be the, the favorite yep. out of this book. Uh, the characters are great. Uh, they the, the original two have not been supplanted, but pushed over by the old lady cop and her assistant as far as the leads. The Ghostbusters, and- yep. Yeah, and it's just a lot of fun, and the art is very easy on the eye. It's very English. It's painted. You know, and I don't think you get away with painted artwork in a monthly comic very much because it doesn't hold its dynamism. Um, The story about a young 15-year-old high school guy in England who gets attached to the ghost of who he thinks himself as Sid Vicious is, perhaps. I don't know. But that's part of the mystery. Uh Shit, man. Four issues in. I can't wait for the fifth. I think that's I the conclusion. It's great. I don't know. We'll find out. I hope it comes out in June. Yeah. And uh, oh. But David Barnett and Martin Simmons. Martin Simmons, very English name. I've seen it before. I don't know where to see it again. Uh, how about Assassinistas 5? I didn't get a chance to read that one. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, what'd you think? Because you got to review this one. I didn't read it. So, hold out. Um... So since I'm not, I'm reading the original Love and Rockets, everyone, not the uh, current ones. Uh, I guess I'll just ask you this, Vernon: Is Beto really lazy in Love and Rockets right now? Uh, he's older, and he's got a older style, but it's not as loose as what's in Assassin East. Okay, because yeah, this is you for hire. Yeah, so yeah. lazy. Like, right. Yeah, it's quick, and he whips it out, and it's probably commensurate to what he gets paid, I imagine, you know. 
But I, other than that, it's fine. I think it has one more issue to go. Um, it started out really kind of interesting about a set yeah. of three female assassins, and then one of them has two has a son who's got a boyfriend who tags along with her to help help out save the day or whatever. And I think I got lost around issue three or four because the plot got really mixed up with the red haired chick. And then I kind of, they made it too confusing for me and I got lost and that's not a good thing for Bernie. He doesn't want to get lost. Yeah. I think you got lost cause it was just so the, it's just, uh, I'm like, actually, I'm actually squirming, you know, it's good, but it kind of is like we're reading Lumberjanes, I guess is what I've tried to say. <laughs> adult Lumberjanes. We're kind of reading adult Lumberjanes and we're trying to come up with a reason that, like, it's a good comic. Like, but, it's well-written, yeah, yeah. it's beautifully executed, even if Beto's really not invested in the art. But, I mean, that that's what it says to you is you're like... <clears throat> It's 2018, I'm reading Beto Hernandez doing female assassins art, and he's not invested. No. So why? So he's doing it for money. And it's like, right. okay, so like, oh. yes, he can do it. And yes, the script is not... It's... Hmm. I feel like if Beto were more invested in the art, I'd be more invested in the comic. I see what you mean. Just to get a little more visually. You know, and that's the thing. That's a good point when you think about mature creators, especially artists, who have to somehow balance what amount of time they can spend on a particular book they're making a certain amount of page for versus, well, I mean, they don't want to put their best work into it unless they're getting paid the best money. And I can understand a more shorthand style or... Like, all artists develop, like I saw, visual language. Like, when you're reading Assassinistas, you can look at these characters and they could be, like, in the background of any Love and Rockets right. comic that you've read. Because they're Beto's, and Beto's a unique artist. And, uh, but at the same time, I understand it and I get along with it because, well, it's an abbreviated style that a guy in his late 50s, early 60s would draw for this type of thing. And that makes sense, although I would never compare it to Love of rockets are under any circumstance. Right. So, I mean, it's just kind of like, is Beto the right artist for this? He's not the wrong artist for it, but I bet there's somebody who's hungry who would have fucking knocked this out of the park. You know, that's quite possible because it needs that. But it, it, it needed the storytelling chops of Beto because there's a lot going on. And so you need an experienced artist, but again, you're right. A younger, less, less, more hungry artist would have taken this and just gone to pieces with it, you know, and turned it into a really highly energetic, pseudo-sexual edgy thing, you know? Yeah, like... Yeah, I mean, not all comics can be perfect, well-executed experiments. This is a, a decent try. <laughs> you it's know, success! It's just not... There's just not a lot to be excited about. Of course it's going to be... It better be fucking good. Like, yeah, that's it, kind of the thing. Like... Assassinations is totally worth the money. This is not like Barrier where we're like, yeah, hey, you should pay, you know, about $7 less for this. No, Assassinations <laughs> is totally worth it. It's just, it, it, 
it fucking better be Shelley Bond doing a, editing a book about female assassins uh, in their forties with a gay son and all this sort of thing with Beto doing the art. This is about as, you know, like as good as it can be, if it's not going to be great, like it's like the new mainstream. Yeah. Oh, I, I would rather read this any day of the week than a lot of the long underwear comics of other well, companies. Yeah. So there's that, but you know, it's just, it's hard to get excited about it the way that Punk's Not Dead is reaching, you know, like it's integrating, it's like flavor. These are these things that are integrating a lot of zeitgeisty tropes, right? But they're doing yeah, it much so. enthusiastically. Yeah. Maestros, right? Like we've had the whole wash of them. You've got new creators doing it. You've got old creators doing it. Um Highest House actually doesn't do this. Like, no, it goes retro completely. Yeah. Highest House is very classical. Jimmy's Bastards is very classical in its way. But right. I mean, like these new, there are still people who are doing this sort of meshing together of these tropes and it's just working out great. And Assassinesis, it works out. It works out. Doesn't work out great. It works out. It's a success. It's just well, not something that I could just be like, ah. well, you, you got to remember, folks, Andrew is in the, the business right now of rereading Love and Rockets from issue one, and he is up there now, and he's seeing some really great Beto Hernandez artwork. So looking at work for Hire Hernandez is a very different thing than seeing him on his early Love and Rockets period, which is a different level of art. Very true. It is very That's true. That's the anyway. Now, we have Love and Rockets on here, but I didn't get to read five. I tried to read five, and I just didn't have the time. So there uh, you go. It's out. <laughs> no, that's all I can tell you. Um, but it's it's always interesting because the brothers Hernandez are still publishing, and they both got to be about 60-ish, maybe pushing 60 a hair after. I don't know. But their work is still vital, and you're looking at the earliest stuff, and we're reading the, the media stuff is – the masterpieces, and now we're looking at them in old age. Did you find that flubber yet by any chance? Yeah, I haven't had a chance to read it. Okay, you don't read it. It's non-words. It's five minutes. Uh, you'll get a kick out of it if you're, after we talked about Hernandez, Beta Hernandez All right. today. Alright, well we got some TPs we got to mention. Uh, Sherlock Frankenstein, we mentioned it earlier, but we could talk a couple quick sentences yeah. about it. So Jeff Lemire, David Rubin, Black Hammer spinoff, the first one, Sherlock Frankenstein. It's fucking awesome. It's a great it's fun. It really is. It's fun in the ways that Black Hammer isn't because Black Hammer is relentlessly dark, kind of. Whereas Sherlock Frankenstein has Lucy. You know, it's completely a solo thing. Just imagine mm -hmm. trying to read this thing. Like you just pick it up and you're like, you know, it's a great story about the daughter of a superhero. You know, yep. in his days and his enemy and how I have forged a relationship with that enemy. And it's a great fucking four-issue mirroring in the book. And David Rubin's art, we talk enough That's about it. Beautiful. It's beautiful. So David good. Rubin is the artist that all young artists should emulate right now. And you're talking about commercially viable types of stuff that you can uh, adapt towards a lot of different purposes and fields. And he's someone you should watch because he does the whole package. And he's just great. Sherlock Frankenstein, one of Jeff Lemire's rare complete wins for us so we'll give him kudos on that one anyway it is a complete win yeah four issues four great issues now i read what was it recently um andrew and i keep up with this guy who called himself ethan really 
for a comic called Popats. Uh, have you have you turned me on to it at all, or no? Maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. Maybe I somebody else. Had a few fist cities. What can I tell you? But Popats is a book put out by this guy called Ethan Rilly, which is actually a pseudonym for Hartley Lynn, who's the guy who's credited as the author of Young Francis. That's a new ah, book okay. by Drawn and Quarterly. Collects three of the issues of Popats, and it is absolutely one a fucking charm because it talks about two women in the professional stage of their life in their early twenties. One works as a law clerk at a, a skyscraper a law firm, and the other one is a roommate who is an actress and who gets a job out the West Coast on a TV show about halfway in the book, and it changes the dynamic of how young or young Francis lives and stuff, and how she her life. And, man, Hartley Lynn, he, his background are just absolutely beautiful. I brought this book into my shop to show customers I'm working with them on their artwork. Look at this. This guy puts so few lines in, but he says so much. And this is how you do it. This is how you fucking do it. You, you spend as little time as you have to, but you learn how to do it. You learn the, you learn the language. And Hartley Lynn is, is a literal text on how to do a great syndicated looking strip because he does it like three panels all the way through and it kind of reminds you of a syndicated strip and it's on that craft. But uh, Drawn and Quarterly did a great fucking job on this book. You know, it's out of print already. I'm oh, fuckers time to put that library. fucking gas on the pedal, man, on that one, I tell you. All right, so another, and, and we haven't been able to read a lot, but uh, what, a couple of the books that I was thinking about talking about real quick that came out was the. Uh, We'll build anticipation for Alex Center Volume 2, which you and I both are trying to get some time to read. One yep. is an Alex absolute Center. essential read for it's all you bohemian comic book readers who can handle the next level of comics. If you can't, don't bother. But Alex Center 1 is an encyclopedia of how to do absolutely wonderful comic books. Uh, Munoz and Sempoyo, yep. uh, are they, they're South American. What, do you remember the country? Argentina, maybe. Argentina? I don't know. Well, I'm not sure. Forgive us. Uh, they craft, they use this, this vehicle of a private detective in New York City in the 70s, 80s, maybe. And we don't know because we haven't read the second volume yet. Volume, you know, he's know got him on the street. Going. He could be, be a detective. He falls in love and he falls off the planet. And, and now volume two comes out. Now, these are some big, chunky fucks that are like 350 pages each. So the first volumes one oh. and two complete the entire Alex Center series. These are a masterpiece. They really are. And they deserve to be at every serious comic book collector's home. If you yeah. if you think you're a badass motherfucker that's read comics, if you haven't read Alex Center, then get your ass on a computer and order one because you have not finished your collection yet, motherfuckers. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah. volume two, we're both drooling at the gums to read it. We'll probably get to it by next podcast. We've got another one to go. Yeah. Uh, another that, yeah. one I found, it, and the previous catalog of all places, who the fuck reads a previous catalog? Well, the retailer should, and if he doesn't, go to another shop. But I found, um, I like Japanese, what's that word? Gegaga. It's the study of the human condition in short, gritty, noir-like stories. It's it's one of the few genres okay. of Japanese comics I like. Most of that shonen jump crap can take a jump out the window, as far as I'm concerned. It's it's just <laughs> it's more even more juvenile than Superman. Okay, so that's a rough haul. But anyway, I was reading this. This is a book called The Troublemakers. Can you see that? It's got a hot pick. 
the skyscraper and it's by a guy named baron yoshimoto it's a compilation of some of his best short stories and that's uh y-o-s-h-i-m-o-t-o baron with one r and check out this uh, byline on the back six of the best stories by baron um, yoshimoto one of the japanese manga artists who helped develop the graphic novel form in the 60s and 70s, okay? So these stories are half a century old. By targeting an older audience with scintillating and exquisitely drawn stories about class, gender, ethnicity, and race. Did DC or Marvel touch any of this shit in those days? No. We got Green Arrow, okay? His sidekick turned into a junkie. All right, that was pretty good. But they, you know, I, I can't wait to develop this. This, this, this. I want to devour this next week. I really do. I just can't wait. You know? So leave, leave me alone. And let me read it. <laughs> so that's a good one. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. It's called uh, the Troublemakers. And you know who is it? There was a who is it to put that out? It's unusual publisher. Retrofit. Yeah, Retrofit. They've done some unusual books. They find obscure stuff that needs to get back in print, and they put it in print again. And it's a, a real project. What is it? Uh, uh, one of them is Big Comics, Big big Planet Comics. I think it's a chain of four in Bethesda, and they're all individually owned. And one of them, who, whatever one's in the manga, is part publisher with that. Okay. Cool. cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, I don't know. What do we got? 40-something podcasts in the drawer now? I don't know. Over 50, I think. 50. Half a century old. Well, that's appropriate. That's appropriate. Well, hopefully the comic companies will give us enough uh, stuff to chew on for about another three weeks. We'll try to crank out another one then. Yeah. So we love you all. We uh, thank you for listening. And uh, you know what? I'm going to put my email. It's comicsgallery with an X on comics at Gmail. Uh, it's a particular time. People are kind of getting in touch with me, and uh, feel free to email me, and I'll let you know how things are going. Right. And you, you're, you're still surviving, so we're all good. So uh, look for that next episode in about three weeks plus or so. Night. We love you all. Night.